Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Hello and welcome to December's All In for Citrus podcast. I'm Ernie Neff and I'm sitting with Dr. Michael Rogers, Director for the Citrus Research and Education Center. Michael, please start off with going over what will be discussed on this month's program. Uh, sure, and thanks, Ernie. And in this month's Citrus podcast, uh, I'll be talking a little bit about the 2018 year in review, uh, some of the accomplishments we've made in IPIS research statewide, as well as kind of what we're seeing in the industry as a whole. Then Dr. Sarah Strauss from the Southwest Research and Education Center in Immokalee is going to discuss some of the work that she has going right now related to uh, microbes and how those can be used to improve citrus health. Following that will be Dr. Mark Reitenauer from the Indian River Research and Education Center in Fort Pierce who will be talking about fresh fruit packing. That sounds great, and it sounds like we are in for a good program, so let's get started. You said you're going to do a little review of 2018. 2018, this this past year, has been a bit calmer for us, in all of us here in the Florida citrus industry. Our, our main citrus-growing region of the state has dodged major hurricanes this year compared to 2017, but, but I don't want to forget the fact that you know many of our, our friends and folks in agriculture up in the Panhandle uh, really were devastated this year by uh, the hurricane that hit up there. But for us, further down south, um, we really needed a break following Irma in 2017, and, and that's what we got this year. Michael, I think you wanted to talk a little about the current status of HLB management. Um, sure, and I, I would just say that, start off by saying there's a lot of reason to go into this holiday season with a renewed sense of optimism for our industry as we're learning to live with HLB. Uh, the, really, the bottom line, I think, is that our yields are up, and a lot of that um, is due to a number of factors. One, of course, we didn't have major storms damaging our crop this year. Overall, the weather's been really favorable. We've, ha- we've had just the right amount of rain, perfect temperatures. Every- everything's been really good for us this year, and so everything's lining up for a good year, which we really needed. But also, um, I want to also emphasize that a lot of um, the work that we've been doing in research is starting to pay off for us, I think. We've been doing a lot of our, research, our short-term research projects have been focused on ways to improve the health of HLB disease trees. And really, I think our goal is we're trying to alleviate tree stress um, on these HLB disease trees because what happens is the trees become unproductive it's not so much just HLB, but it's the other things that, that compound on the trees, these other, other stress factors, and that's what really takes the trees out. So we've done a really good job of understanding how we can alleviate tree stress through things such as nutrient and water management, um, soil pH impacts you know, as related to bicarbonate stress, um, and, and other conditions that affect overall tree health. And so as we've been doing that research in IFAS, the growers are uh, in, you know, practicing or, or experimenting with some of these things that we're learning. Um, we're learning, as researchers, we're learn, learning from the growers as well, seeing what they're doing, what works, what doesn't. And I think what we're seeing is that growers are able to make the needed adjustments for their programs to maintain tree health, and that's starting to pay off, I think. Last year, we had really hoped to see some of the impacts of these improvements growers were making in terms of their yields last year, and, and of course that didn't happen with all the losses from Hurricane Irma. But I really think this year and next year, these are going to be two years that we really need to watch and, and compare the, these, the yields from these two years to where we were 
pre-IRMA, because I think we're going to see some really positive increases uh, in our industry going forward. In addition to the industry, University of Florida IFAS has had some significant changes in the past year. Uh, Yes, we've added a number of new faculty statewide to our citrus programs. Uh, Here at the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alfred, Uh, Dr. Lauren Diepenbrock was hired this year. Dr. Diepenbrock is a new citrus entomologist, um, has a majority extension appointment, but she joined the program in May, and her emphasis is on citrus IPM. So we're really excited to have uh, a new entomologist here at Lake Alfred uh, to be working with folks and working with growers. Down in Immokalee at the Southwest Florida Research and Education Center, uh, we've added two new faculty this year. Dr. Fernando Alvarez is the new citrus horticulturalist. And there's also Dr. Tara Wade, who is a new faculty member in in economics. And so both of those two faculty members are are getting involved and will uh, be people you'll be hearing more from in the coming year. Also down at the uh, Indian River Research and Education Center in Fort Pierce, uh, we've had two new faculty join there as well this year. Uh, Dr. Lorenzo Rossi joined back, I believe, in January of 2018. He's a, a citrus horticulturalist who specializes in root biology, so he's joined the faculty. As well as just recently, Dr. Sandra Guzman uh, joined the faculty as a new agricultural engineer at the Fort Pierce Station. We also uh, mourn the loss of one of our longtime faculty members, Dr. Phil Stansley, uh, who passed away uh, this fall. Dr. Stansley contributed many years to IFAS uh, citrus programs as well as vegetable programs, worked with many growers, and we all had a lot of respect for Dr. Stansley and the work that he did over the years, and so he will be missed. I did want to mention that it was just announced that um, uh, one of our faculty members from Fort Pierce, Dr. Javad Qureshi, who originally was working in in, uh, Immokalee, will be moving back to the Southwest Florida Research and Education Center in Immokalee uh, to fill that uh, vacancy in entomology. Um, Dr. Kreshi, who currently is at the Fort Pierce Station, um, he will continue an ongoing research presence there in Fort Pierce. So he has the programs he has going will continue there, but he will be located uh, going forward in Immokalee. Talk to us a little about the focus of HLB research. Okay, well, well, in 2018, um, our research focus, a lot of what we're doing, um, well, everything that we're doing for the most part is going to be focused, has been focused on HLB. Our short-term research focuses, as I've mentioned previously, have been on maintaining tree health. The majority of our trees in the industry are diseased with HLB. So um, we're really trying to find ways to keep those trees as productive as possible, keep more money in growers' pockets so they can stay in business. Uh, This past year at the Citrus Expo, we heard a lot about some of the more promising short-term new projects that are underway. Just one example was uh, some new work that's going on with uh, plant-derived brisinolide compounds uh, that can be used to help improve the health and yield of HLB disease trees. That's a very new project. It's very preliminary data, but it's interesting in the fact because we're seeing positive results, and it's a product that's currently labeled that growers can use. So uh, it, it, if this work continues to show promise, this is going to be a short-term solution or tool. It's not a silver bullet, but just another tool that growers can use to help maintain the health of their citrus groves. And there's a lot of other projects that are being funded, and more is coming down the road. Another big focus of the more short-term research, and it's also kind of long-term, 
is, is that we're getting back to more traditional IPM practices. We're trying to get away from using so many insecticide applications, um, in part because we've got a lot of pesticide resistance developing in psyllid populations around the state, but we also need to save money. And so you're going to see a lot here. You've, you've seen, you're going to see more about more traditional IPM approaches in the future. On the long-term research front, um, we still have a lot of work. Kind of our, our silver bullet, if we have one, is, is developing a new variety, a new citrus variety that is resistant or tolerant to HOB. So the areas of work there, you know, conventional plant breeding, transgenics, and also the work on gene editing are all very promising and giving us new tools every day. And also, uh, we're looking at approaches to targeting both the HLB pathogen in the plant and also the psyllids themselves using RNAi. That's relatively new technology. So there's a lot of things that are going on, but again, all of our focus, again, continues to be on solutions for HLB. And Michael, I think you wanted to talk briefly about some new IFAS citrus initiatives in 2018. Yes, and so the, the big initiative or the big program that we've launched this year, of course, is, is our communications effort. Um, with all that we're doing right now, research-wise, it, it's really hard for growers, even researchers, for all of us to keep up with what others are doing. There's so much work going on in, in citrus research right now on HLB, and we recognize the fact that it's tough for people to know everything that's going on and, and keep up to date with the latest. We all have other things we have to do every day. You can't go to every IFAS meeting and see what's going on. So we've, we've launched our new IFAS citrus communications effort, the All In for Citrus effort, this includes our new website, the newsletter, and of course this podcast. And I just wanted to mention real quickly that for those who haven't seen the website lately, uh, that's citrusresearch.ifas.ufl.edu. We've just now put up um, a section on plant improvement that has currently the field trial results from 10 different uh, long-term variety trials that plant improvement has in the field right now. So if you haven't seen that, I encourage everybody to get onto the website and have a look, look at that information. You had some final thoughts about 2018. Uh, yeah, I think to wrap it up, you know, we've, we've had a tough past decade in our industry um, as a result of HLB, but I'd like to think that this year is kind of a turnaround year for us as we're starting to see that um, HLB is not going to take our industry out. There's breakthroughs in research that, ha that have been happening and continue to happen. Growers are making incremental, incremental improvements in growth management practices that are paying off. There are folks making money, and, and if, if you're not making money, there's probably some changes that can be made to put operations back in the black. Um, we're not talking about huge profit margins, but, but what's needed to stay in business. So as a citrus industry, I think we're all working hard, we're all working together, and you know we're all in for Florida Citrus. Excellent. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, Ernie. This has been Ernie Neff. Over to Abby Taylor and Dr. Strauss. Thanks, Ernie. I'm Abby Taylor, and I'm talking to Dr. Sarah Strauss right now. Dr. Strauss works down at the Southwest Florida Research and Education Center as a soil microbiologist. So Dr. Strauss has shared with me before that she focuses a lot on microbials and microbial communities. So to start out, could you just give an overview about what microbials are and maybe an overview about what you do down at SWIFREC? So, um, so I'm a soil microbiologist. So that means that I look at the bacteria and the fungi and the archaea of the soil. And so um, within one gram of uh, soil, there can be actually over one billion microbes, and that includes bacteria, fungi, and archaea. Um, and so my 
research is focused on trying to understand what all of those bacteria and fungi are doing in the soil and how they interact with each other and how they interact with the plant. Um, and so there's a lot of indication that these organisms are key to how soil functions and and how that environment can support plant growth. And so microbes are known to to impact everything from you know soil uh, pH, uh, soil nutrient availability. They're really important in soil nitrogen cycling. Um, they can impact things like the amount of organic matter. They can impact um, you know the soil texture, um, salinity. There are all sorts of different components that you think of when you think of soil are influenced by microbes, and so. The goal of my research is to try and figure out um, how those interactions could possibly be manipulated or how they're working um, to improve plant productivity and crop production. Perfect. So back in August, you did a presentation at the Citrus Expo on some of your work. So for our listeners who maybe weren't able to make it to your presentation, could you talk about some of your work that you presented? Sure. Um, So... Uh, I mostly wanted to just give a bit of an update about some of the stuff that I've been looking at with regard to um, potentially beneficial microbes and other soil amendments um, that have been looked at for improving citrus. And in this research, I sort of take two approaches um, to looking at adding microbes to the soil for citrus production and and citrus growth. Um, One's more of an indirect method where I'm focusing on methods that you can change the soil environment. Um, And so this is mostly with the idea that we're trying to enhance microbes that might already be present in the soil, Um, not necessarily introducing new organisms, but just making the conditions right for the beneficial organisms that are probably already in the soil. Um, And so this includes things like um, adding more carbon to the soil, uh, either through compost or biochar, or um, the one that I'm starting to focus more on now is cover crops. And so trying to keep living plant material in the soil and, and add additional food for those microbial communities that are already there and enhance those populations um, could potentially improve uh, citrus production, um, though we're, again, still looking at a lot of that data and trying to figure out how that might be working. Um, the other method that uh, I sort of look at is is what I call consider a direct method, and this is the one that people probably think of the most when they think of beneficial microbes and, and agriculture, and this is adding specific microbes to the soil. It's kind of the equivalent of a probiotic approach, um, kind of like you would, you know, take a probiotic pill and improve your your gut microbiome and improve your health. Um, We think that maybe you could do that with soils. And there's a lot of research that shows that certainly for human health, this is something that there are direct correlations with. Um, But in agriculture, this is still a little bit of an unknown area. Um, There have been a lot of studies that have shown that there are specific bacteria or fungi that can improve plant growth. Um, But a lot of those studies are focused on just one specific organism or one specific crop. Rarely are they focused on citrus. Um, A lot of that research has been done on um, like grain crops and things like that. And most of them are done in soils that are (laughs) pretty much the polar opposite of the soils that we have here in Florida. And so um, that, you know, so what works basically for a cornfield in Iowa might not necessarily work for our Florida soils. 
Uh, and so uh, I've been involved in a couple trials looking at some of these uh, microbial amendments. Um, in citrus, we've done a large-scale field trial um, in collaboration with Dr. Uta Albrecht here at the SWIFREC, our plant physiologist, um, looking at the interaction between adding some of these uh, microbial amendments and biostimulants to uh, mature commercial uh, citrus groves that have different overall management um, practices to begin with. And so the idea is that adding these um, these microbes and these biostimulants um, could interact and that there could be an interaction with how the grove is being managed to begin with. And so we've got a high input management system where they're spending quite a bit of money on those trees and we have a low input management um, grove where they're spending a little bit less. Um, and so we've got some preliminary data comparing the, um, the looking at the microbial community of these different systems. And we're finding at least after six months of applying these um, uh, materials, we didn't see much of an effect on, on um, um, plant productivity and physiology. There are a few minor differences. Um, and we didn't see any impact of the treatments on the soil microbial community. But what we did see is an overwhelming response um, based on the overall management. And so how you manage your citrus grove um, is going to have inherent implications for your soil microbial community, which is probably not too surprising, but um, it's interesting to see some of the stark differences between these two. And so we're still really um, delving into that data and we're collecting uh, additional time points. Um, we got interrupt. Our one-year collection was happened or was supposed to happen right when Irma hit. So we've had to backtrack a little bit and we've got some other data collections that are um, being processed right now. And so we hope to have that data um, in the next couple months. Um, but so there are these, those are those two ideas. And so it's not that adding microbes directly isn't possible or isn't necessarily going to work, but um, it's a pretty complicated system. And so what we're seeing is that there's basically still a whole lot of questions with regard to how adding these microbes from other places might impact um, citrus trees. Before the podcast, you mentioned to me a cover crop project and some other things that you'll be doing some work on in the near future. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So um, I'm really excited. We just, uh, I've got two big new projects that are just getting started. Um, one, as I, I mentioned, is a, um, is a cover crop project. And so we just got um, some funding from CRDF to look at the use of cover crops in row middles and citrus groves. And so I know there are a large number of growers or at least a, a certain, a, some number of growers that are already experimenting with this. And what we're interested in doing is, is really collecting a full spectrum of data to understand the impact of planting cover crops in the row middle on um, soil health, soil nutrient cycling, um, plant production, uh, you know, citrus production, um, and in addition, get some economic numbers as well. And so this is a project in collaboration with um, Dr. Davey Kanekampeni up at um, CREC, Dr. Ramdas Kanasari, our weed scientist here at the SWIFREC, uh, and Dr. Tara Wade, also who is our uh, one of our economists here at the SWIFREC. Um, and then uh, entomologist uh, Lauren Dippenbrock is assisting with the project as well. And so we're, we're planning on collecting a full suite of measurements, um, looking at soil nutrient availability, um, nutrient uh, uptake by the plants, root growth, 
weed presence, uh, soil, obviously the soil microbial community on my part, um, and, and looking at and insects, um, both um, beneficial and, and uh, obviously non-beneficial <laughs> insects, and just trying to get a better understanding of the dynamics and the interactions that can occur and the potential benefits that can occur when you have um, a, a cover crop in in your row middle rather than just having um, a, a weed strip that gets herbicided periodically or mowed periodically. And so we're looking at uh, mixes of cover crops, um, and some of those do include nitrogen fixers, and so there'll be two different seasons. There'll be a sort of a summer cover crop mix and then um, a winter cover crop mix that gets put out um, more in February-ish time. And this is a three-year project, and so we're going to keep collecting data and, and put that all together and see what that looks like. And um, very excited about this. So, and this is with a, a large grower um, here in Southwest Florida. We've got two different locations. And then the other project that I'm really excited about um, that we got some federal funding for is a project looking at uh, these naturally occurring microbial communities that are, um, are technically known as biological soil crusts or biocrusts. Um, sometimes people call them microbial mats, um, but their the technical correct name is biological soil crusts. Um, and so these are consortia of bacteria and fungi. Um, sometimes some some lichens, and sometimes you'll see them with moss. But the the primary components are, are a group of bacteria and fungi. And they are very common in desert ecosystems. Um, and in those desert ecosystems, they're known to be dominated by a cyanobacteria that is a tiny little bacteria that fixes nitrogen. Um, and in those desert ecosystems, those crusts are, are known as the, and are, are basically the main source of nitrogen to those ecosystems. Um, and not too long ago, a grower pointed some things out to me in a citrus grove that looked suspiciously like these same desert biocrusts. And so we did some preliminary tests on them, and they seem to be dominated by nitrogen-fixing cyanobacteria. And so we've got a project, and I've got two students that are working on this to try and figure out um, how much nitrogen are these things fixing? Um, is it enough to you know, enter the, the system and impact citrus. That's, this is going to be a bit of a long-term study, but we're right now just starting to get some basic um, measurements made to try and characterize these things, see how they're different from the desert systems, um, and determine exactly what they're doing and why they're in some parts of the citrus grove and not in others. Um, and so hopefully this proves to be a naturally occurring, you know, group of organisms that are adding nitrogen to your system. But um, we're, we're still just getting started on figuring that part out. Great. Well, thank you, Dr. Strauss, for being on the December podcast. I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great holiday season. Thank you, too. Now we'll move on to Dr. Reitenauer in Fort Pierce. So Dr. Mark Reitenauer, who works at the Indian River Research and Education Center in Fort Pierce, is on with me at the moment. Dr. Reitenauer, I understand that you do a lot of work with citrus in regard to food safety. Is that correct? Yeah, so I work at the University of Florida IFAS Indian River Research and Education Center. Uh, we're stationed here in Fort Pierce. And uh, so I work with the uh, fresh fruit growers and shippers primarily um, and um, a lot to do with the export market as well, especially here on the East Coast. Um, so I'm interested in you know, all things that impact our fresh fruit shipping conditions, including 
also um, our markets and uh, any market restrictions we might have. But one of the things we've been working on, um, gosh, since I arrived in 1998, uh, has been food safety because in 1998, that's when the FDA came out with their guide to minimizing microbial standards. It was not a, um, a law, uh, were not rules to be enforced. Uh, they were guidelines, but the industry and the buyers um, basically took them and said, well, unless uh, a, a packer or supplier does not develop a food safety plan that is based on these guidelines uh, and then has that food safety plan audited by an independent party, then we're not going to buy from them. And so that really was a self-enforcing, industry-enforced um, food safety standards that came into effect. Uh, problem with that, it's, it's quite variable depending on the, the buyer and the particular requirements of those buyers. But in 2011, um, we had uh, the first federal rules that came into effect um, that President Obama signed into law, which were the Food Safety Modernization Act. And that set into motion and required FDA to develop a bunch of food safety um, rules and um, and gave them more authority and power to enforce diff these different rules. And so two of the rules that came out that really impact the uh, Florida citrus industry are the produce safety rule, uh, which is really more for growers and um, operations that are defined as a farm. Uh, and that's some packing houses will, will fall under that. And then the preventive controls rule, which are packers, other packers, and then other food processors and handlers. Um, so as part of these rules, um, there are certain standards, for example, um, microbial standards. And in the, in the field, there are irrigation standards on what type, not, well, not irrigation, um, but food contact water. So anything gets sprayed on the trees, on the, on the fruit, the edible portion of the fruit, there are certain requirements on microbial standards. Uh, and if we happen to spray with water that exceeds those, there are certain things that we can do to mitigate or to help correct um, those problems. And one of the things you can do is you can just hold off, hold off um, harvesting. Um, you can hold off harvesting for like a couple days, up to four days, and get an assumed uh, two-log reduction. But another thing you can do is you can have... Um, Post-harvest handling takes into account what we can get off in the packing house. And so Michelle Downlick, Dr. Michelle Downlick and I, over two seasons, uh, conducted a number of different studies on the packing, um, packing lines at the uh, Citrus Research and Education Center and at the Research Center here. And um, just got done publishing a paper on, on what we found. And we found that we could get... If if we take all the different packing line procedures, washing and, and drying and, and waxing and drying, then we were getting a, a greater than about five log reduction. So that's that's some some good information that the packing houses and the and the growers can use in case there's any question about water quality and microbial load that are on the on the fruit coming into the packing house. 
great. Thanks for those comments. I think that food safety has been on just about everyone's mind a little more so ever since the E. coli outbreak in Romaine made some waves in the industry. Anyways, I, I know you also do some work on decay control. Could you talk about any recent projects or findings regarding that? So on the decay control side, um, with HLB, we've seen an increase in especially stem and rot. Now, stem and rot, there are a bunch of different things that can cause the fruit to decay. Green mold is a big one. Um, but stem and rot is probably the worst for Florida. Uh, and these infections take place in the field during the summer months when we've got the rainy season. Um, the spores are up in the tree, especially in the deadwood um, up there. And, and they're falling on the fruit throughout the, the summer and the rainy months. When we pull the fruit off, and so we've got these infections already, they're called latent or dormant infections, especially around the button and the, the uh, tissue up there at the stem end. And um, when the fruits start to um, turn color and to, um, especially with, with um, if we're degreening, uh, during degreening, we're using a natural plant hormone, which they would be exposed to in the field anyways, during the, the uh, coloration process. But in the degreening room, we try to accelerate that with the same plant hormone and warmer temperatures. But that stimulates some of the changes that are in those stem tissue and the button tissue, which then stimulates growth of that particular stem and rot organism, which is called uh, lacidiplodia, or we've called it in the past just known as diplodia stem and rot. Um, and so that one is, can be our worst one. It's usually worst in the in the uh, in the early fall, and when we're having to degree for long periods of time, when the fruit coming in the, the most green. The color of the fruit does not matter in terms of it's not an indicator of internal quality. Uh, it's really all a determination based on the cool temperatures at night. And since in Florida, subtropical environment, we don't get the cool temperatures until later in the season, and so we don't get coloration out in the field until later. So these cold snaps that we're having right now, uh, these are great in terms of trying to getting better color of the fruit coming in uh, to the packing house. But with the HLB, we were seeing, uh, and the USDA next door in Fort Pierce here did some really nice work in showing that they were finding that this diplodia organism was developing out on the tree in some cases, that, that HLB infection was stimulating some of these um, changes in the button tissue and the abscission zone, which also causes fruit drop. Um, and so we are getting the decay organism into the fruit even before harvest. And that means it's really, really difficult to control post-harvest. Uh, and after we harvest the fruit, we can treat the fruit with um, a fungicide, and um, that helps protect the fruit during the degreeing process. Um, but um, with HLB, it's, it's becoming more difficult. We don't have a good tool anymore for being able to control this kind of decay pre-harvest. Um, some work has been done with some fungicides, and there's occasionally some in, in, um, reduction in post-harvest decay, but we still don't have anything that that's, uh, would be consistent at all. Um, so that's where we're trying to get funding to be able to do more research along this line for decay control. And we also believe that it would also help with uh, with uh, pre-harvest fruit drop as well, since 
there was a good correlation the USDA found between the development of this organism and um, and uh, fruit drop. Um, so right now, all we can do is be vigilant, and, and if we're going to ship something for long distances, then uh, we need to look at the field conditions before we pull them in, because usually, usually you can see some of the, the fruit decay out in the field at harvest, and so we don't want to be harvesting and shipping long distances, those blocks that look like they're heavily impacted on there. Uh, the HLB also, in, in terms of, of uh, impacts on the root system, since the roots are one of the, is the first thing that's really impacted by HLB, um, whereas decay is an early season, more of an early season issue, although with HLB we've also seen it later in the season, um, we can get another disorder called peel breakdown. It's not caused by a decay organism. It's caused by um, basically poor water, um, not enough water uptake into the canopy, especially during the springtime or um, when temperatures start warming up and we're in our dry season and we can't get enough water to the trees or the trees don't have the root system enough to, to take up the water well enough to um, keep everything hydrated up in the, in the plant canopy, especially when you have new, new leaves that are flushing. We've got a lot of evaporation um, and evaporative surface area going on uh, and competition within the leaves and the fruit. And so if we're, the fruit are coming in on the short end, we found that the peels are, the peel is very sensitive to that and can start breaking down um, pretty quickly after harvest if um, it's not well enough hydrated. So it's important, especially if, it's, if you start seeing any indications of soft fruit and, and peel breakdown to try to help keep the irrigation um, going as well as possible pre-harvest. And then you also can use a, um, an antitranspirant. It's a spray that's put on the trees that reduces the rate of transpiration. It's something like VaporGuard uh, is one of the ones we've tested in the past, but that can help um, retain and improve the water status of the tree, give the, the peels and the fruit a little more water to deal with at harvest so they're less likely to break down after harvest. Perfect. Well, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today and for being on this month's podcast. I look forward to talking to you again soon. On behalf of Southeast Sagna and UF IFIS, we wish you a very happy holiday season. Be sure to tune in next month for all new information about how UF IFIS researchers are moving citrus forward. For the All In for Citrus podcast, I am Abby Taylor. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.